What does it take to be an entrepreneur and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the future of entrepreneurship of Prop G Pod, special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, welcome to another new episode of the Step Over Podcast. I am Jim Adair. With me as always is Max. I'm just too happy to even attempt to come up with a pun. Rappaport. Uh... Max, how's it going? Feeling real good. I feel fan-fucking-tastic. And now that is the earliest I've ever sworn on our podcast. <laughs> I, I think you've sworn in the first sentence before. All right, that's probably reasonable and accurate. Um, so, Max, uh, how do you feel after... Uh, well, last time we spoke was uh, before this series started. And kind of just like the Brooklyn series, we were like... Uh, Game one wasn't great, so we were like, all right, let's kind of wait a couple of games out before we talk about it, um, see how a kind of a bulk of the series is going to shape up. Um, and it's following, um, you know, I don't believe in jinxes, so I'm not jinxing it, but I don't want to speak too soon before things change and make me look like an idiot, but it seems to be following a similar pattern. Yeah, I, I we talked before about the, I guess, the, the backdoor sweep versus the, the gentleman sweep. And, and kind mm-hmm. of the, the backdoor sweep is, is superior to the gentleman sweep in that uh, you want to get that out of the way in game one. And then if you, can, if you can turn it on after that, that's kind of the most ideal situation other than a sweep. Uh, so mm-hmm. the fact that, that in both series they uh, really shit the bed in, in game one and have looked yep. so good... Uh, in this series, in games two and three, and in the other series, basically games two through five, uh, I, f- I feel pretty good about um, about where things are at. Yeah, I feel um, fairly fantastic. The way that uh, game one happened was less than ideal. Um, game two was better, uh, much, much better, but not... Um, kind of like a statement game, I would say. That was a fucking statement game last night. Yeah. The things that happened in that game were emphatic. Um, there was f- f- there was one team having a lot of fun on the floor last night and one team having the worst day of their lives. And I'm glad the team I like was the ones that were having the most fun. That, you know, you, you figure... I mean... The, the people who play this game do it because they love it or some of them do it because they're just like freakishly good at it and they don't even care about it that much. Um, but when you do things really well and Embiid said as much in, in a post game presser, basically that like he plays better when he's smiling and having fun. Um, but you can only smile and have fun when you're playing well. It's a, it's a little catch 22 there, but to be able to be this far into the postseason in a series where a lot of people didn't give you a chance. I mean, the series is far from over, but um, and not only go out and gut out a win last game, but then to go out last night and just have so much fun. Like, this is not the time when you're supposed to be having, like, a blast. You're not supposed to be running down the court uh, doing the airplane arms and then putting your Hulk Hogan hand up. 
you're not supposed to be um, just like goofing. Uh, Jimmy Butler's out there yelling at people to shoot three-pointers, just having fun. Um, it's not supposed to be that easy, as easy as it was for them last night. And to see them come together and do that, and like, that, it, it was really, it was astonishing. Um, I was watching the game last night at my apartment with a friend of the pod, Patrick Wall, and he just flat out made it a demonstrative statement last night. He said, the Sixers are the better team. And after last night, I don't know if I can disagree with him. No, I, I totally agree. And, I, you know, I, I, I've thought about it throughout this series. Like, um, it came up because me and my friend Joe, who were watching the game last night, we, we were talking about uh, Kawhi. And, like, basically, if the Sixers can, can win this series, especially if they can win it in five, does Kawhi stay? And when we were thinking about the idea of Kawhi leaving, it's like, that team's not very good. Like, Kyle Lowry is, is kind of washed at this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, Pascal Siakam is probably their second best player. Definitely their second best player in this series. Yeah. Um, and he's gotten really good, but like, I'm not, I'm not afraid of that team. Um, long-term, like if they, if they keep Kawhi, Kawhi is maybe the best player in the East. Um, at least right now he looks like the best player in the East. Uh, but outside of that, I'm not really too concerned. And I feel like the Sixers, you know, at full health and I thought the biggest thing was Embiid looked like himself for the first time in all playoffs. Last mm-hmm. night, like, really just looked like he was back to uh, back to form and played, what, like, 28 minutes without having to play at all in the last half of the fourth quarter. Um, yeah, 33 points in 28 minutes. Yeah. Um, Your standard in bead line. Yeah. Uh, you know, so so I, I feel like I can't not feel like they're the better team. They, I, I think they just are, uh, especially yep. in, with a short rotation. You know, like, especially with Greg Monroe actually being uh, – a competent James Ennis too, uh, between the two yeah. of them and, and Mike Scott, obviously not so much last night, but in the playoffs has been, uh, it's not bad. If you only have to play those three guys, like 10, 15 minutes. And then the other, and the starters can just play it out. Like our starters are better than any starters who don't play in Oakland. Right. Yeah. Um, and this, you know, this is, goes back to, to this, something that we had been discussing on the last pod about how torrent, you know, in, in the, the, waning hours of the season uh tobias was slumping real hard and it's i mean he's still right now shooting 44 percent from three on four almost four and a half attempts a game that's enormous um he's averaging 15 and a half points a game um which puts him third on the team um which is just you know you needed that to happen um and he's not doing it like in in you know he's the least flashy of the four people, or the of the five people in the starting lineup. The other four, are, all four of them, are flashier than him, which I kind of th- I think allows him to kind of sneak around a little bit and and put up these nice games and put up these, you know, and find openings and stuff like that. Because you got JJ Redick running around uh, like a kid full of pixie sticks. You always have to watch what Ben Simmons is doing. Joel Embiid's just plowing through you, and Jimmy Butler is gonna break you down. So. I think Tobias being able to do what he's doing is is incredible on the whole the whole lineup honestly because you know you have your Greg Monroe looking great and your your Mike Scott looking good and your James Ennis looking great but that's not going to carry you right you need you need them to, to do well while the starters are resting so the starters can come back up c- come back out and just do even better um, so it is great that those those three guys have been playing so well but you you don't get to where you were last night. Uh, without the starting five just playing out of their goddamn minds. I, I think, too, specifically Jimmy Butler uh, in yeah. this series and and has stepped up in big moments in the playoffs. 
but I, I think him kind of stepping into that role, and I think Tobias Harris has really um, kind of taken the step back that uh, it felt like you, you kind of assumed he would take uh, w- when the trade was made and he came in. You kind of thought mm-hmm. he'd be the fourth, the fourth of the four, and I feel like Jimmy Butler's actually been the fourth of the four uh, to this point. And is just in these playoffs really cementing himself as like, you know, I think they've been they've been utilizing him as more of a ball handler uh, when Ben Simmons is off the floor. And I feel like they're mm-hmm. they, he's like found a role that makes sense and that utilizes his talent in a way that before yep. it felt like he was more of a, a role player. And I think Tobias yep. Harris has kind of taken on that that uh, that role on the team. Absolutely, and I think he excels in that role. I yeah. think you know he's an All Star caliber player, but I think he's best suited in a on a team where he's he is the third or fourth guy and i mean that's just an embarrassment of riches is there's not many teams in the nba where he would be the third or fourth guy but i mean i think that's probably the best um fit for him and he, he just absolutely thrives in that role that's like another thing it's like he's at his best when he can play like this but he's good enough where on most teams he can't play like this so it's kind of like a weird balance you have to find with him and i think you know we have a question coming later about about his future with the team, and I think it's huge because I think this fit is perfect not only for the Sixers, but for him. Yeah, and I, I think I've really... I mean, I've, I've been up and down throughout the season on, on how I feel about Butler and, and whether I want him back. And, I, you know, I, just just seeing... I, I think he, other than Embiid, has been, like, the MVP of the playoffs. I think without Absolutely. him, even if Embiid had played every game been totally healthy and looked like he did last night, I think Jimmy Butler might still be almost equally important um, just yeah. because of what he's done in the moments he's done it and really like carrying the team at times when when they've struggled. Like just being yeah. that guy who can get a bucket. And, and also he's been great on the defensive end. And I think, yeah. um, you know, Kawhi has just been a fucking killer. But um, outside of that, I think the team's played really good defense. Yeah, I want to talk about the defense on Kawhi in a second. But before we do that, before I forget, I want to bring up something that I noticed last night and throughout the season, but it's really sad to me last night, and I'll give you a number to back it up to. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know how to find this stat out, and I don't know if you can. I'm sure there's tracking information for it. If someone could find it and let us know what it is, that would be, I'd be very grateful. I would love to know what J.J. Reddick's free throw percentage is on technical free throws. It seems Great like question. they're the only ones he misses. He misses the technical free throws, it seems like at such a, a much, much higher rate than his regular free throws. And would you believe, Max, that in these playoffs, granted on less than two attempts a game, J.J. Redick is shooting sub-80% from the free throw line? That's really surprising. Yes, 78.6%. He's, um, is he sixth on the... I'm looking at it right now. Seventh. Not including well, like Furkan Korkmaz and stuff, but he Kork- is... Of, the, star- Boban, of yeah. the starters, he's fourth on the team in free throw shooting. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, which is astonishing, but I think that could be because he's been shooting a lot of technical free throws and he doesn't seem to make those very much. That's just an observation I've made throughout the year and it's probably some confirmation bias, but that kind of stood out to me and, and it's kind of, that's surprising and, and that's hasn't come up back to bite them, obviously, um, but that would be something to, I don't think, be worried about, just to keep note of. Um, but let's talk about the defense, right? So before we go any further in talking about this, because I, I feel like um, we honestly kind of avoid this topic a little bit um, because people get mad about stuff. But fucking Brett Brown, man. He deserves yeah. all the credit for this. And no one, you know, 
all this shit talk about how he can't adjust and he can't do this and he's a bad coach or whatever. Throughout these entire playoffs, he has not only adjusted but outcoached the other guy to his face. And yeah. that's something that, you know, obviously a lot of credit goes to Ben Simmons for being uh, playing at like a, an all-NBA level in this series and last. Obviously a lot of credit goes to Jimmy Butler. A lot of credit goes to, like, that. there was a sequence last night that unfortunately ended in a Simmons uh, foul on Danny Green in the corner, but it was like the, the Raptors were just playing hot potato and they could not find an open man and everyone was just constantly rotating and they just could not find the open man. That's impressive. And that has a lot to do with the physical skill and the physical basketball IQ of the people on the floor, but it has a lot to do, too, with Brett Brown's X's and O's stuff on the sidelines, which I don't think people are giving him credit for and he deserves it, but... The effort that Ben Simmons specifically is putting on Kawhi Leonard is out of this world. And, you know, your, your, your average, you know, if you didn't watch the game, you just looked at the box score uh, for the last couple of games, you would probably look at it and say, oh, well, you know, Ben Simmons has been underwhelming. Um, you know, he had, what did he have last night? 10, 7, and f- 4? No, 10 7 in. I missed it. I'm, I'm seven on the and wrong. Seven. Okay, 10 7 and 7. I'm on the wrong uh, uh, box score page. The basketball references box score page needs work. Um, I was like 15 7 and 7. Wait, 10 7 and 7. You were right yeah. the first time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then in. But in the, the, the first win, he was um, what, 6 7 and 5, right? Not astonishing numbers, obviously. But. The effort that he's putting on the defensive end, which is taking up most of his, you know, energy and ability and, and, and physical strength, cannot be overstated. And you'll take those numbers happily when he's doing what he's doing on the defensive end against who is essentially a top three or four player in the NBA. Also, last night he had seven assists and one turnover. Absolutely. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I want to go back to Brett Brown because... You know, I, I think obviously you give credit to the players, and uh, you know, I think the Sixers are a team that uh, I wouldn't say matches up especially well. We kind of talked about individual matchups against against Kawhi. I mean, obviously he's killing them, mm-hmm. and they're not doing anything to stop him. But uh, you know, a team that has the athleticism, has the um, the potential to, and the length and size and all that to to be a really locked down defensive team. But you obviously in Game One. Uh, all those those um, when they would kick the ball out and you know pass it around the perimeter and you know Lowry would drive and kick. They were just getting so many open looks, and Kawhi was finding yeah. guys, and they were collapsing on him. And Siakam would be wide open in the corner. Um, and even in Game Two, I thought the Sixers got kind of lucky in that uh, the Raptors missed a lot of those shots down the stretch. The Raptors had a ton of open looks from three and and missed probably 80% of them, it felt like. Um, in Game 3, I don't know enough about X's and O's to really understand what was different, but you could just see that the Sixers were doing something different with their rotations and, and the way that they were uh, helping. And they just didn't have that. The, the Raptors were not yeah. getting anything. I mean, they, they were, uh, you know, they, they, they would get to a ball. I, I felt like I was watching, and they would... Uh, Ball would start to rotate around, and, and you were expecting an open look, and inevitably, uh, James Ennis was right there, 
in in Siakam's face or whoever's yeah. face, and th- th- you know they. I thought they played it excellently. I thought um, too on the offensive end. You know, putting Jimmy Butler in pick and roll as much as they did. He had nine assists last night. Um, got a lot of his buckets that way. Uh, you know, I, I really like what Brett Brown has done in this series um, and some of the adjustments he's made. I thought it was interesting, too. Like, uh, they've had Tobias Harris defending Marcus Gasol, which has actually worked pretty well. Uh, mm-hmm. Shockingly well. Um, and, and have used Embiid more as a kind of um, like a free safety and uh, on Siakam a little bit. So I, I feel like that's been, that's been really great. And I, you know, I, I guess it's easy to forget that Brett Brown hasn't coached a whole lot of playoff games. Um, right. A, a whole lot of games where you have the, the type of the ability to make adjustments and to pr- prepare in the way that you do in the playoffs and face the same opponent multiple times in a row. Um, yeah. That, that that's the biggest question mark on Brett Brown or has been the biggest question mark on Brett Brown. And I've been really impressed and, um, you know, encouraged by what I've seen from him and his ability to adjust in this series. Yeah. I mean, that's absolutely right. And, uh, you know, it's just, it feels like there was a, a switch has been turned and th- there's not that I was ever, I was never afraid or concerned in the first series after game one. I'm like, it's just game one. Fuck it. And in the second series, I was pretty much the same way just because we'd also experienced the game one. But, you know, Toronto's a better team than Brooklyn. Toronto matches up against the Sixers, I think, better than Brooklyn. But the way the Sixers is putting their stamp on this series, and again, that has a lot to do with Embiid being, you know, Embiid not having, you know, mud butt the entire game, uh, and Embiid playing like he can play, and Brett Brown coaching or circles around Nick Nurse, what it seems like. And just really kind of exposing Toronto's weaknesses. This is what it felt like for us last year, right? Like every team Mm -hmm. just exposed our weaknesses and we couldn't get around it. And this year it's the other way around. They expose Brooklyn's weaknesses. They're exposing Toronto's weaknesses. Again, series is far from over. They have a one game lead, but man, that, that game last night felt like it should have cost them two losses. (laughs) The way that, I mean, and the way they play at home again, too. This team has always, and this is going back to when the personnel was completely different, and we've talked about this in the like the three-year history of this podcast or whatever it is, that it always seemed like the team, whoever was on it, would play up at home, especially the good teams. Because remember, like the, the deep, deep process Sixers came within a Harrison Barnes corner three of beating the, the Warriors in the year when they lost nine games. Uh, they always seemed to play up to the opposing team's talent and then also sometimes played down to worse teams. But at home, they seem to really, really do that and thrive on, on the crowd there. And the crowd last night was fucking incredible. I mean, I wasn't there, but even hearing it on TV, hearing that, it was just beautiful hearing that emphatic uh, crowd just chanting and cheering while Jeff Van Gundy was (laughs) pissing his pants on the sideline. Uh, That was just perfect because again, let's, I don't want to get too deep into this, but for a league as good as the NBA is, they have to have better broadcasters. It's wild. There are good color people and there are good play-by-play people, but none of them are paired together. They take a good play-by-play guy and pair him with two fucking curmudgeons. And they take a really good color person and pair him with a bad play-by-play guy. It's, it's really rough. And this is the playoffs. You can have Statler and Waldorf sitting there next to Mike Breen. It's not 
good like it's it's like the problem with baseball broadcasting right where it seems like a majority of baseball broadcasters actually don't like baseball i don't think jeff van gundy likes basketball and mark jackson likes himself but that might be it that crew was abysmal and i want to thank everyone who was there last night for being able to cheer through that i mean you couldn't hear it but i could hear it and having the cheers and and the commotion in the background really helped neuter their negativity yeah, it's it's really rough. I and I feel like in the last couple of years it's just gotten worse. Um, like I don't know what it is. I'm I I can't think of like any specific crew that's uh, been broken up or anyone who's like stopped broadcasting. I think I, it's probably the addition of Reggie Miller for like every other playoff game. It feels like yes, uh, uh, players only is uh, awful. It's terrible, and I can't watch. Like honestly, I I, I never really have enjoyed. Uh, like TNT's pre and post game show, but like the ESPN one's pretty brutal too. Um, yeah. Like just listening to Paul Pierce talk is like mm-hmm. fucking. It's real bad. Like they just I, and there's so many there's so many people out there who I feel like could do it. I mean, just I I know we're biased, but like the fact that you have guys like Mark Zumoff, um, yeah, just sitting out there doing local broadcasts, and who knows? I don't know if Mark wants to do national stuff but you just think there are more mark zoomoffs out there who who want to do it well, uh, no, think, think about this who was on the tnt pre-show last night with Be- michelle beetle um it was Jalen. it was paul pierce and who was who was the chauncey billups right yeah and then the broadcast is mike breen and mark jackson and jeff van gundy of those five non-breen and non-beetle people mm-hmm. none of them are actual analysts just because they used to wear a jersey or wear a suit and sit on the sideline, they're not actual analysts. They have their own points they're trying to make. Mark Jackson, every year that passed, just gets more and more mad that he's not coaching somewhere and more and more mad that his legacy is the guy who was holding back the greatest team of all time. Jeff Van Gundy is just like a miserable person. Why don't you have somebody there who will actually analyze the game and give you some kind of insight? Doris Burke is great at that. Um, not many other people are honestly yeah. that they put on the TV are great at that. But there's a lot of people um, who just like you don't need a former coach, former coach, former player, former player, former player. You can have broadcasters who are good at this. Who this is their job. This is not like yes, they are employed to do this, but this is not Jeff Van Gundy and Mark Jackson's job. Like if they are bad at analysis, they're not going to get fired. They're not going to lose that job. They don't have to be good at it. Mm-hmm. And that sucks because it's the playoffs. It's we're getting deeper and deeper into the playoffs and the broadcasters are too interested in bickering with each other and having some kind of bit going or just being idiots after Embiid threw down a windmill dunk that should have shaken the entire broadcast. They should have just shut their mouths and let the crowd talk. But instead Jeff Van Gundy went on this whole point about how Shaq would never disrespect people like that. He he spent his entire career disrespecting people. Come on. Like, Jesus Christ, guys. And doing literally that exact same airplane move. Yeah. Like, it was... That's, it's bad broadcasting. No matter, no matter what it... What, like... Whether it's Sixers or not, whether they're shitting on whatever or not, it's bad broadcasting. And you see that a lot, and, like, that's what's so great about League Pass, and that's why people love League Pass so much. You get to see all these local broadcasts that actually know stuff. Some are bad, but some are really, really good. Because when you go to the national product... They're just throwing Reggie Miller or Chris Webber at you instead of someone actually knows what they're talking about. And I get it because it's the general 
um, the larger overall product, right? There's not necessarily a deep dive that's needed. You just need someone to kind of carry the flow of the conversation. But there are people who can do that and give you analysis who aren't just going to sit there. Like, I just tweeted right before we started recording uh, the picture of the Embiid. There was a Getty Images picture of the Embiid mid-windmill. And you can look at all the, the reactions in it. If you look over at the broadcasters, Mark Jackson looks furious. And Jeff Van Gundy is literally leaning back with his arms crossed. That is not the posture of someone who is enjoying their day. So they need to do something about that. And I know they won't. But it's like, it's just absolutely terrible. And you go to any NBA show and it's like the other Van Gundy. Or here's this guy who played in the league for four years. Or this. Just give me people who actually know what they're talking about. Because a lot of these analyst people who are former players and former coaches, they're not sitting around looking at tape. They're just like talking. They're just saying things. And that doesn't give you any insight at all. And a lot of times they just say shit that's wrong. So that's my rant. I got real mad good, about good that. Good rant. It yeah. was fucking stupid. Um, do you have anything else to add before we take a break and go to questions? No, let's, let's take a break and then questions. All right, cool. What does it take to be an entrepreneur and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business, and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the future of entrepreneurship of Prop G Pod, special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. All right, Max. So uh, the first question we'll start out with was actually something that you touched on a little bit earlier. And I was going to kind of cut you off and just take it right then. But uh, I decided that would have been rude. Um, James Mock, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, M-A-U-K, um, asked, would this Raptors team make the playoffs without Kawhi? They make the playoffs. I think I they think, make the playoffs too, uh, yeah. I think they're like a 44-win team without Kawhi. Yeah, because with Kawhi, they're extremely, extremely good. And if you just undo the trade and put DeRozan instead of Kawhi, yes, they definitely make the playoffs. If you take the team as it is now and you just, like, you just Thanos snap uh, Kawhi out of existence, yeah, they still make the playoffs. But they, they probably don't get past the first round. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, another Kawhi-based question uh, from Unexpected Upside. Uh, if Sixers lose in Eastern Conference Finals or Finals, uh, Kawhi's people contact Elton Brand about... Um, it says inter. I don't know what that means. But uh, about coming over this summer, essentially. Uh, which two of Tobias, Butler, and Leonard would you sign? Uh, I would bring back Tobias and Kawhi. Because I just think the fit... I, I think I really like Tobias's fit. Basically with anyone, I think he just like kind of... Yeah. You, he's just a, you can plug him in uh, no matter who the other starters are. And I think it works. Jimmy mm-hmm. Butler, it's a little bit of overkill, and I think there's a little bit of overlap there, too. Yeah. I, I agree with you, because I think, you know, there's the old adage of, like, there's only one ball to go around, and we haven't seen that as a problem with this team. But if you subtract out a Tobias and put a Kawhi in, you've just added, a, you know, a, th- a third ball vacuum a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, JJ's obviously not one. Simmons is, but he's only half, because he does so much moving the ball around. Um, so then you have, like, in your starting five, you have, like, three and a half you know, kind of ball vacuums. And I think that just does a little bit to your spacing, does a little bit to your, your ability to move the ball around. So, yeah, that's and that's like we said earlier about Tobias's fit. Um, it's just kind of like a guy who fits in wherever you need him to be, like a puzzle piece. So, yeah, I would, prob- I would probably do the exact same. 
Um, Landry Slamet at Bad Name One Two Three Four. Who like, I think we get a, like I feel like we call him friend of the pod now. We ask him a, we answer a question from it every time. Um, asked if the Sixers win it all this year, which former Sixer that was traded this year would you give a ring to? Now, for people who don't know, uh, the general thing, like I think in every sports league, is that. Uh, rings go to whoever ownership decides rings go to, basically. Um, you would uh, know, because you probably know people, Max, who have rings mm-hmm. from working in uh, in social media and sports, but um, a lot of teams will have different tiers, like, say, um, like, like, like when the Phillies won, for example, or when the or Eagles won even more recently. Um, all the players got rings, obviously. Um, people who work in the ticket office might get a ring. Uh, it might not be the exact same ring that the players get. It might be like a lower tier, but they usually spread that around. So if the Sixers were to win, I'm sure every player on the team gets a ring, coaches, executives, owners, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if like some like game day staff get rings that might be like a little bit lower tier than like the big fancy ones that the players get. But it just basically comes down to whoever the owners decide will get a ring. Now, if I'm the owner... I basically give a ring to, on top of everybody that was here right now, to Covington and Dario, because was if and if I only had to do it one, I'd do Covington because he was uh, just here longer, here part of it longer, and plus they, I mean, they only played what I think thirteen or fifteen games this year, but if you're going to be generous with a ring, which you should be, they got you the piece that got you where you are now. Landry Shamit was here longer this year, but he's a rookie. I don't know if I would go that far. But I personally would give rings to those guys. Maybe the slightly smaller tier of ring, but they still get one. I was wondering, do you, do you think they're allowed to give rings to players? On, like, w- would that not be tampering? Like, giving them some some valuable thing, like a, a ring that's probably worth like four or $5,000 at least. No, Give, I mean, giving I mean, that you, to a player on another team. Would they be allowed to do that? I'm just wondering. Yeah, I think the Warriors have done it where people who aren't on their team anymore and maybe maybe didn't play for the entirety of their run have gotten rings. Hmm. You know? And I don't think it's necessarily yeah. tampering. It's it's a it's it's like more of a thank you gift than anything yeah. else. That's that's yeah. a good point. Um, It'd be tampering if they gave him if you gave him like a check for ten thousand dollars, that'd be tampering. <laughs> but yeah, I don't think that's because I mean it happens everywhere. Like you see um I'm trying to think if there was an example that I was thinking of from a couple of years ago. I think it was in baseball where, uh, oh no, I think it was, um, shit. Oh, it was, I think it was when it was Warriors Cavs, uh, what, two years ago when the joke was that like, no matter which team won, Andrew Bogut would have gotten a ring because he was on both teams that year. Although he was on the Cavs for like a day, but you know, I wouldn't like. I would think, yeah, it, you know, he spends. He had been there a couple of years already, or, or more than a year, and he was there for a little bit. Like, yeah, if I was the Warriors, I would have given Andrew Bogut a ring. So, I mean, it's, it just comes down to what the owners want to do, but that's what I would do. Um, obviously, Hinky. Well, they're not going to do that, but I would. Yeah, uh, yeah. I was. I was. I was just searching. I was looking at the uh, front office directory because I was curious if Jerry Colangelo was technically still. Uh, mm. On staff, but he is not. He's not. They would give Brian a ring. They can't get Brian a fucking ring. You know they would. I I don't. I you know they I'm would. not sure how I what what I think this ownership group would do. Even in terms of, uh, I I do not get the sense that this ownership group would be uh, 
super generous with who they give rings to. Yeah. Um, but if we're talking about former Sixers employees, um, you could send me a ring. Yeah, of course. I'd really, I'd really appreciate you. that. Yeah. Send one to uh, Philly Moose. Philly Moose. To, uh, to the basketball man. Mm. Who do you think? you think Adam Aaron would get a ring? <laughs> he's, still he's still an owner. Like, he's, still, he's like he's the still third owner, guy. Yeah. On the, I'm on the front office director right now. He's the third yeah. owner listed. I've not seen Adam Aaron. What is like? Whatever happened to him? Because you see, he's like, the CEO, he's the CEO of AMC. I Theaters. know, but you see, like Michael Rubin there. You see Art Rubel. You see, obviously, I think he Harrison was asked Blister. To stay away. Like, just isn't allowed to show up at the arena. Yeah. Of the team he, he owns like one percent of. I'll tell you who I don't think actually has an official role with the team at all, uh-huh. but sh- should get a goddamn ring, and that's Sonny Hill. I think technically he I isn't he like I'm looking right now I'm on the thing. He is an executive advisor. So he will definitely oh, okay. be I was going to say. Ring. Yeah, he I mean even if he wasn't, he should get one. I honestly think so. so. Um fittingly the next question under that was from James Detucci. Uh when we win it all this year, Coven Dario obviously get a ring. <laughs> but uh do they give a speech at the parade? That is a hard hard no. They are not even allowed to be there. That would be tampering. Mm. Imagine Imagine you're a Wolves fan. Imagine. And you turn on ESPN to watch the 76ers championship parade for some reason. And you see two of your players <laughs> celebrating with another team. Now, if they wanted to go as a c- civilian, I'm sure no one would stop them. But they're not going to be on a float. They're not going to. Yeah, that's not. That, pretty that pretty disrespectful. Fly. Yeah, that'd be bad. That'd be really bad. That'd be a really, really bad look. You can't do that. Kind of love that'd it. That'd be though. like that. That'd be, but yeah, but that'd be like if you know, if Toronto won and Greg Monroe's on their float. Like that doesn't, and that's a much less, like that doesn't happen. That that's not going to go. What, what about um, what about former Sixers, process Sixers who aren't playing anymore? Like is Isaiah Cannon still in the league? Um. I don't know. Furkan Aldemir you could get over. Uh, Brandon yeah. Davies. Hollis Thompson could come over from Lithuania, get, wherever he is. Get, get Choo Choo on the float, man. Choo Choo for sure. Uh, Hollis is in the G League, or at least he was this year. So. Oh, sorry, Hollis. Yep. Basically, any player, present, past, or future, untouched by an NBA contract, feel free. Uh, but, yeah, if you're not, that's, that wouldn't work. That can't work. I would love it. But that would be real, real bad. Um, Steve Lipman asked, "How are you guys feeling about Tobias's upcoming deal?" And we touched on this a little bit earlier, a little bit. But I feel like he's going to get a near max, and I'm cool with it. He's totally fit in, and he seems like the perfect glue guy for the team. Uh, we basically said the same thing. Um, I'm not, and I've said this before too. I don't. I'm not going to discuss numbers and deals and stuff like that until this is done, uh, because th- what's happening right now in this series is much more important than for now then who's signing what this offseason. So mm-hmm. once this season is done, then I'll start thinking more about who gets max, who gets near max, how many years I give somebody. But I do think that Steve's right here. He said he is a, a perfect fit and perfect glue guy, and, and he just really has really slid in and shined. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I'm, I'm pretty set on bringing him back, and I, I think probably the price is going to be a near max. Uh, and I think it makes sense to just give him the five years. So I think if you can give him five years and, like, 
85, 90% of a max contract that, that feels yeah. right to me. Yeah. Yeah. It feels good. Um, I only have one more question here, Max. Actually, no, what I have, I have a couple more cause a friend of mine sent me one, but okay. here's a fun one. Uh, Dave Mulhern asked, uh, Lamarck Gasol Ridge is a f- great NBA combo name. The other one I can think of is Carl Mello Anthony Towns, which <laughs> is admittedly clunkier. Can you think of any? So these aren't as good as his, but I just thought about it for like a second when I first saw this tweet. And the best I could think of was uh, Marquise Chris Paul George Hill. Oh, man. I feel yeah. like I needed more time for this. Uh, mm-hmm. Man. Um let me let me come back to this. Yeah, you can ask the next it, question. A, let me let me think about yeah. it for a second. Give it a thought. Um, so, my friend Dan, I asked him if he had any questions for us. Um, I think we probably have the same answer to one, and actually maybe the same answer to both. But let's talk about these these quick two things. Um, first question was, what do you think the Sixers will do with TJ this offseason? Not should do, will do. I think they probably keep them um, at basically a super duper team friendly deal. He doesn't seem to really care about going anywhere else. Everyone in the locker room seems to love him. Um, unless he's like gets, you know, not mad, but if, unless he's like, you know what, I'm not going to really play much here. So why would I stay here? Which is completely well within his rights to do. Um, then, yeah, I think probably going to keep him for a, for a low amount for like maybe like a three or four year deal. I'd let him go. Cause I think, you know, you can probably use that spot on a player that can help you better. And if TJ is, you know, going to get bigger offers from other people, he should, you know, look out for himself, look out for his own bank account and his own minutes and stuff like that. So I'm a, you know, big proponent of everybody going out and getting that money. So um, if I was him, I would take the biggest and best offer I got, but I don't know what's going to happen there. Yeah. To be honest, I'm not really missing TJ all that much. Uh, not playing in this series. And no. I feel like that's the wait. That's qu- quick thing. <laughs> Other thing in the broadcast in the first half last night, uh-huh. Mark Jackson and Stan Van Gundy. Uh, no, Jeff Van Gundy. Whatever. They're both fucking suck. Uh, they were both talking about how great TJ McConnell's been for this team and all this TJ McConnell shit. And I'm looking at the team and I'm like, is he on the floor? Why are they talking about him right now? Also, how great he's been. When? When are you talking about? Are you talking about last year's playoffs? Maybe. But when otherwise were you talking about that? More horseshit from the broadcasting team. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, uh, I I think they I, I think they need to go out and get a, a backup point guard. First off, they should just they don't need to really spend that much money on that. You have Ben Simmons. If you bring back Jimmy Butler, you have another guy who handles the ball. I think you're just looking for like a a Seth, not Steph Curry kind of player in that role. Like, and, and if mm-hmm. they're going to spend money, that's the kind of player. Like someone who can play one and two, ideally, who can shoot. Like a Jared Bayless type, um, who is not Jared Bayless, uh, but someone like that, I think it's just a better fit than another guy who can't shoot and is a defense. Like you don't need a, a defensive-minded backup point guard who can run the offense. Like you have enough guys who can run the offense, and you have enough guys who can defend. Like you need someone backing up Simmons who can ideally play along Simmons, alongside Simmons. If you're going to spend that money on, if you're not going to have it be just a one or two million dollar a year, you know, close to minimum level guy or a rookie or a young a guy right. on a rookie scale deal. Like, at least go out and sign someone who can play the one and the two and, and back up in that in that way and, and play alongside him a little bit. Yeah, um, 
Next question that he had was, aside from Jimmy and Tobias, who was the one uh, UFA sixer on this roster you want them to re-sign? And I think both our answer is probably the same. Mike Scott? Mike Scott. Yeah. James Ennis is playing great. And, well, you know, not including if I could J- take them both, JJ I might take them both. In this? Oh, and you know what? I guess, you, yeah. So then I would say JJ, my, my ordering would go, I forgot JJ was unrestricted. Uh, it would go JJ, Mike Scott, James Ennis. Mm-hmm. Is it crazy yeah. that I'm, I, I'm, as I'm watching these playoffs unfold, I'm feeling less and less connected to JJ? Like, I, I had the thought yesterday that um, I feel like JJ is the weakest link. Uh, definitively the weakest link of the of the five. And it's not really close, but he's getting to a point where his defense is bad enough that it's actually it's actually a problem. Um, and he and he's yeah he's shooting forty percent in this series or or forty one percent in the playoffs. Uh, but outside of that, he's not really giving you all that much. Um, they're not asking him to handle the ball they, the way they were before they got Jimmy Butler and Tobias Harris. Um, He's really just a spot-up shooter at this point. Like I, I think unless he's coming back on a cheaper deal where you're able to get him and still have some money to spend elsewhere, or if, if Jimmy Butler doesn't come back, uh, you know, freeing up the money for a max guy and then bringing Jimmy or bringing JJ Butler or JJ Redick back home, whatever money you have left over. Like I don't know if I want to throw another like one-year, twelve million dollar deal at JJ Redick. I'd probably rather. Sure. Split that between Mike Scott and someone else, if that's the money they have. I don't know if I agree with you. Uh, because you can say all the things you want to say about his defense, which is bad because he has little short arms um, and all that stuff, but he's still shooting 40% from three just in the playoffs. Uh, he's shooting 58% on corner threes right now in the playoffs. Um He's the only play. So your your three point shooters in the playoffs are Tobias Harris forty four percent, JJ Redick forty, and then if you take out Corkmaz and Monroe, then you have Embiid at thirty, and then everyone else is below thirty percent. Mm-hmm. So without JJ Redick shooting, you know you could say his defense is a net negative easily, but his shooting and his ability to have just wear out defenders by just running around like a madman, that's I don't know who you would replace that with. And I think because he's just a guy who runs around and shoots the ball and can shoot on the move and can just try to get open and get passes. Yes, he makes very dumb plays. He gives the ball up too much. Yesterday, he literally passed the ball into Joel Embiid's face from about a foot away. It was fucking stupid as hell. But there's not another person that I can think of right now who you probably get, because I do think you can kind of get a little cheaper next year, who fits in that exact role so well and is going to continue to keep doing it well. So... I understand what you're saying about feeling like maybe a little bit detached from him because he's relatively personalityless. Um, he does one thing, but that one thing he does, he does it so very well. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I, I, I'm not like at a point where I, I want them to get rid of JJ this summer. I just feel like it depends on the money for me. And before I was like, you know what? I'm willing to spend whatever it takes because I think he's so important to the team. I, I don't feel as much like that now. I think they have... Yeah. Um, I think they can get by without having a, a pure shooter at, at the two. Uh, and I think Zaire Smith is not... I, I think with the current lineup, unless Zaire Smith uh, really continues to to look like a 
different player in terms of his shooting, which he did. And when he came back, he's actually looked really good. And his, his form mm-hmm. is weird, but it's different than it was in college. And he's hitting them. Um, unless that's who he is, now he's going to be a, a good spot, you know, a top of Cephalosha where he's, you know, a 3 and D guy. If he's not that, I kind of want him coming off the bench. But I think he's going to play enough that, I mean, not that there's not enough minutes for JJ, but I think your need is less. If if you have Zaire Smith playing like 20, 25 minutes off the bench next season at the two, yeah. primarily at the two, I think you need, you don't need JJ Reddick quite as much. And you can get by with someone who is more, like I was saying, like a one-two combo and that guy can be, can be your JJ Reddick. And maybe that person starts and then handles the ball a little bit when Ben Simmons is off the floor. But, uh, you know, I, I don't think they need to spend twelve million, thirteen million, whatever it is. I'm hoping it's more like seven or eight because I think that's yeah for JJ. That's I fine. think that's that feels right. Yeah. So I'm I'm fine with um, that. I just don't yeah. want to overpay. Yeah, I mean, I think that's I mean that's Elton's job though. Yeah. Um But I mean, look at it this way, right? If no matter what happens with the Sixers, unless they just start reeling off championship after championship after championship, you're going to have people um, looking out west uh, with longing at Landry Shamit. Mm-hmm. And Landry Shamit does the exact things that JJ Reddick does. So if you let Reddick go and then people are just like longing for Shamit, it's like you're basically just longing for another version of JJ Reddick who just does the same exact stuff. And that's who people seem to miss the most and want back the most and think yeah. like, oh, well, I wish they could have given somebody else up the most. Like it's that style that just fits so well with the way this offense is run. Now, if JJ leaves and replaces with somebody else, They'll modify the offense around him, and maybe it works even better. But I just think the way that he fits in this offense is so incredible that you know, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't risk um, just letting him walk. It seemed like he was close to walking last year. Yeah. Um, so I'd be competitive with my offer. You got to watch out for an overpay, but like you don't want to insult him either. This is like it's like in two K when you when you try to offer uh, mm-hmm. you try to offer the guy like one year, but with a player option at the end, and like. Not quite as much money, and then they just like will not talk to you after that point. Just like it works, well, just, you, like, just how it works in real life. That even then, if you then offer you, a five-year max, yeah. they're like, "No, I'm, I'm done." Then you use then you use the like the Jedi mind trick option where you convince them of any deal you offer is good um, that you earn through upgrading your GMness, mm-hmm. um, and that way you can offer like Kevin Durant like like uh, eight years, eighteen million dollars, and just get off that way. Um. Yeah, I, I I agree with you. I think too, like he's going to be thirty five this summer. So my hope is that there just isn't as much of a market for him that you need to overpay. Like that that the That's other what deal last year though that the other deals he's getting. Yeah, I'm hoping he's also had a, a down year. Like I'm hoping the other the other offers he's getting uh, are more more in that range of like one year, or however much money. And at that point, maybe he thinks. I'm close to Brooklyn, unless Brooklyn offers him a contract, the Knicks or whatever. Which but I think is entirely possible. It's definitely possible. And, and like being offered a contract by Brooklyn uh, this year is very different than being offered by a contract from Brooklyn like two years ago. Yeah, totally. I, I guess if, if it's Brooklyn or New York, I, I, I see it. If it's like a one, if it's a one-year $8 million deal with the Rockets or a one-year $6 million deal with the Sixers, I think he probably just stays. Um, mm-hmm. if that's what he's looking at. I'm hoping there's nobody... It's not like Charlotte's like, we'll give you a three and 30. Yeah, I, just, I don't think that's going to happen, but um, no. who knows? GMs are dumb. Yeah. But also, I mean, it's just a quick note about your down year uh, comment. Um, 
which I think you could very easily argue was the first year he shot um, below 40% from three um, since 2013. Um, but at the same time, he's attempting the most field goals and three-pointers of his entire career. So you look at this, right? Do some. You're great with like uh, intricate math in your head, right? Yeah. Cool. Let's pretend you are. So let's go back and say in... 2015-2016, he shot 47.5% from three, which was his career high, mm-hmm. in 5.6 attempts. This year, he shot 39.7 in eight attempts. So he's taking more shots, but he's basically producing the same amount of points from three. Don't check the math. So you're giving him an increased role, and you're basically getting the same production he got in a, in a slightly less role. But I think that's fine for the way this team is structured. Um, I think it just works and it fits. And I don't, if you're, I mean, if you get to the point where you look at this offseason, you're like, we really have to improve, then you really have to improve. But right now this works, you know, this fits. It's true. It so. is true. Yeah. In the last two years, he's had career highs in, in points per game, 17.1 and 18.1 the last two seasons. Yeah. This, this past year was his, his career high in points. Uh, yeah. And he's, per, this is the fourth, this year was his fourth highest usage rate of his whole career. Yeah, and it was basically it's it like the twenty two point nine, twenty two point six, twenty two, twenty one point nine. So it's not even far off from the very top either. Yeah, I said down year, and I kind of regretted it immediately. But I think what I'm what I'm feeling. No, I maybe, got what you were saying. What I think though. I'm feeling. I understand. Yeah, what I think you were what saying. I'm feeling is that his he's always been deficient defensively, and I think that's just getting worse as he's getting older and slower. And he's going to be thirty five, and I just don't want to commit a lot of money to someone who's who's becoming a, a player who's really only skill is is shooting and, and it was only school skill mm-hmm. you're using he's a decent playmaker and they've him and mb do that pick and roll that works really well the dribble handoff like i like that but i think that's going to be yep. less of what you need if jimmy butler and tobias harris come back like i hope i hope jimmy butler's just yep. the one doing that more because he's better at it like putting him in yep. that, in that he did, pick he, did and roll. he did put up the he did put up the worst defensive box plus minus of his career not counting 2008 when he played 34 games yeah so that's not like that. That's a real thing. Is his his defensive deficiencies are very real. Yeah. I just think with the offense he gives you when he's playing the way he plays on average for the year. Like obviously when he's missing shots, it's bad, but it all evens out over the year. When he's giving you that on offense and that on defense, he's breaking even if not giving you a net positive. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. So, um, yeah. I think we should we should sign off. Uh, game four coming up on Sunday. We'll. Yeah. Probably do something after probably after game five. Uh certainly if they sweep if they if they finish the uh the backdoor sweep, um yeah. winning in five, I think we'll do something right pretty pretty quickly after that and kind of preview yeah. the next series once we have an idea of what that's gonna look like. Um But uh I think that this game on Sunday is so key. Like I obviously it's the fucking playoffs, but like if you lose this game and it's two two, I feel like you have an 80% chance of losing the series. If you mm. win this game, I think you have a 95% chance of winning the series. Like it's, it, I think it just swings really hard. Like if they, if it's two, two, I mean, if you this, win, it's three, one, if you win, it's three, one. And I think you're, I think you got it. Like, and especially if they win it in the kind of fashion that they won this last game in or anything even close to that. But I, I think I feel pretty confident with one more game at home after that, that they'll, they'll get that at barely, if not finishing it in five, if they lose this game and you go back to Toronto, I think that's just so demoralizing 
um, after being in a position to go up 3-1. It depends on how they lose the game, but um, I I do maybe 80% is too high, but I feel like it, the swing is from like I am almost certain they're going to win this series to like it's at very best a toss-up, and I probably say the Raptors at that point are... Even though I think the Sixers are the better team right now, um, playing two games in Toronto, especially who knows what they'll look like in game four if they lose that. If, if it looks like game one or the Raptors make some adjustment, you know. But I think if you, if, you can, if you can get this win, no matter how it looks, even if you look like shit and eke out a win in game, th- in game four, I think they're going to win this series. I, I, don't, I don't think they blow a 3-1 lead. Knock on wood. I agree with you. I think it's... Sixers and six, and it's it's if not five. I'm I'm going Sixers and five. I, I'm switching it yeah. up. Also, I I have to say not to get ahead of myself, but I am not afraid of the Bucks and Celtics right now. No, this is crazy. Like they they are very close, and I know this is getting ahead of ourselves. They're very close to the Eastern Conference Finals, which is crazy, and fucking amazing that that it's where they're at and i think they're very close to getting into the eastern conference finals and at very least it being a toss-up if not them being the favorites if it's boston yeah no i agree i mean i guess it's boston so they probably won't be the favorites because they can never be boston but uh i think the Sixers I mean, they're not are, the favorites on sunday no and the Sixers are definitively i think the, the better better team of of uh, them in boston right right now uh not thinking about the matchup just on on their own but not to get ahead of ourselves let's wait until they at least uh play on sunday then we'll know how to yeah. if we're super depressed or or yeah similarly elated yeah absolutely all right um well yeah thanks for listening everybody um you know celebrate your weekend you got everyone's on a little bit of a high from yesterday cut out of work early today do it just cut out um Enjoy yourself tonight. Enjoy yourself tomorrow. Enjoy the game on Sunday. If you're running the broadsheet run, enjoy that. And don't hurt yourself. And then get drunk and watch the game. Be a great day. Uh, Let's go Sixers, and thanks for listening. See ya. What does it take to be an entrepreneur and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the future of entrepreneurship of Prop G Pod, special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts.